Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It speaks about your son. God, thank you that we can open your word right now. And we can look at how glorious you are. Help us to see, God. We just, we confess that without you, you, by your spirit, opening our eyes, God, we, all this will just be information. Help us, God, open our eyes to see how glorious you are. God, let this time not be wasted, Lord, not be in vain. But help me, God, to speak, preach your word by the power of your spirit. God, I pray that you help me to do this, God, in the ability that you supply. God, I pray for all the hearers of your word proclaimed here. That you would, you would open eyes, open ears, God. God, reveal yourself to us. God, I pray your presence be with us, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so where we've been is over the last few weeks, we've looked at uh, the incarnation, Jesus' birth. We looked at Jesus' life. We looked at the death of Jesus, and then last week we looked at the resurrection of Jesus, and then this week we're going to dive into the ascension. Now, this, this is a very neglected topic, okay? You don't hear a whole lot about the ascension of Jesus. You can go look up sermons on the ascension of Jesus, and you won't find just a ton. In fact, there's, a, there's such a thing I was talking, I think maybe to Brett about yesterday, uh, it's called Ascension Day. Raise your hand if you knew there was an Ascension Day. Okay, Brett's the only one that knew. <laughs> in other words, it's not very well known. Okay, this is a very neglected topic, so I'm excited to get into it. Um, you know, I, I really want to encourage as we look at these. I mean, we're, we're talking about our Lord. We're talking about an exalted thought. Um, I'll use Brett again since we talked about this other day. I was talking to him some about it, uh, I think, uh, maybe a couple days ago, and he just kept saying, man, it's just an exalted thought. It's just an exalted thought. <laughs> so it's like all he could get out. So it, it is. It's, it's, it's so great. So I want to ask you that while we're looking at these things, just kind of in the back of your mind to be praying, just silent prayers to the Lord saying, God, help me to, to, to have faith. Help me to believe what we're looking at. It's not just information, but this is our Lord we're about to talk about who's ascended on high at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, so I encourage you to be ready to pray that as we look at these things in the Word, okay? Um, <clears throat> let's start off, let's just define it, okay? So we're going to define what I mean by ascension. Uh, when I say ascension, that word is in the Bible. For example, John 20, verse 17, Jesus says, I'm ascending to my Father. Okay, so he says, I'm ascending. So that word is in the Scriptures, ascending. Jesus is going to ascend. It means to go up, okay? Jesus rose up into the heavens, okay? Ascending. Uh, other words to talk about the ascension of Jesus throughout the scriptures are he was taken up into heaven or he was received into heaven or he was exalted to the right hand of God. You see these kind of phrases getting used for the ascension of Jesus. OK, now here's a couple of things I want you to know in this definition of Jesus ascending. I mean, feet come off the earth, ascending into the clouds, into the throne room of God eventually. And in that definition, I want you to think about this, that he ascended in a real body. Okay, we're just going to start there in this definition, and then we'll dive into what the ascension looked like. But he, asc he ascended in a real body to a real place. Okay, a real body to a real place. He did not, a real body. He did not dematerialize into a, a holy mist whenever he ascended on high. Okay, he ascended on high in a real body. Now, to make this clear, I just want to say something quickly, and I'm going to give you a big, awesome, fancy words, hopefully so it'll stick right in the mind, you won't forget it. Hypostatic union. Everybody say hypostatic union. Okay, you don't have to know that term, you can throw it out, but let that make it stick, what I'm about to tell you. What that is, that's the joining in Jesus, okay? Two, two natures are joined. The divine, which is God, Jesus is fully God, and human, okay? He... He's fully God, and yet He's fully man, and these things came together in Jesus. He is the God-man, okay? And that's what we mean. We see this in John chapter 1, where Jesus, in chapter 1 of John, verse 1, it says that Jesus is God, and He's called the Word there, okay? In, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, the Word became flesh. So here you have Jesus as God, 
And yet he becomes flesh. And these two natures are united together in one person. Fully God, fully man. He's David's son in the flesh, and yet he's David's Lord. He's both, okay? He's fully God, fully man. Now, he's not half God, half man. You need to know that. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Unto us a son, a child is born, unto us a son is given. So he was born into the world, fully man. And yet, what is Isaiah 9, 6 that we're going to call that one? Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's God, so he's fully God, 100% God, 100% man. This is who he is. This is an awesome thing. Okay, so stick with me here. Now, Jesus did not drop off his godness. He didn't drop off his godness to become a man. He retained his godness. He's fully God, and yet he picks up humanity. He picks up, adds a nature to himself, picks up manness to himself. So he's fully God, and he's fully man. We see this very clearly in his life, and I'll give you just a few quick examples. When Philip goes in John chapter 1, when Philip goes and he gets Nathaniel and he says, hey, I want to show you Jesus, okay? I want to show you the one who I think is the Messiah. Jesus has a body. He's really a man. He has to get Nathaniel and actually bring him to a place because Jesus is restricted to a body. And yet, so he's man, he's human. And yet when he gets there, Jesus looks at him and says, Nathaniel, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel wigged out and says, you're the son of God. Okay? So he's fully God, and yet he's fully man. We see it in his life. Or when he's on the boat. You remember he was asleep, right? He was asleep on the boat. God does not sleep. Psalm 121 is clear about that. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. God does not sleep, but Jesus is asleep on the boat. We see his humanity. And yet when he wakes up, he looks at these, these raging storms. He says, peace be still, and everything stops. Everything stops. So the winds and waters obey him. He's fully, he's fully man, and yet he's fully God. This is an amazing thing. He picked up humanity onto his divine nature. You see that? <clears throat> also, we see it in his death and his resurrection. God doesn't die, but God became a man and he suffered death for us. But then he rose up, like we talked about last week, he rose up out of the grave showing that he is God. He's fully God. And he's fully man. Now, here's what I want you to see. After he rises from the dead, this continues. He's still the God man. Okay, he doesn't lose his, his humanity. You see it in Luke chapter 24. He shows up. He, he spooks the disciples. They're scared. They think they've seen a spirit in Luke 24. And he says, no, I'm not a spirit. And he says, he says touch me. Uh, feel me. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. He shows them the scars that were in his crucified body. He's risen from the dead and he still bears the scars of the crucifixion. Okay? So he's showing them this. And he, and he tells them, he says, look, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as I have. So Jesus in his resurrected body is fully God and yet he's fully man. He's resurrected in the same body in which he was crucified and yet it's transformed. Okay? In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 tells you about the transformation. It says his body is incorruptible and glorious, and it says it's powerful, powerful. Okay, so this is his body, same body that was crucified, and yet glorious. So here's what he does. Here's the God man, fully God, fully man, walks on earth for 40 days. He's worshipped as God. He teaches the scriptures. He helps his disciples. He walks on earth for 40 days, and then he ascends. I mean, literally, his feet. Lift up off the ground, he ascends into the sky. The disciples saw it. Into the clouds, into the throne room of God eventually. Okay? And when he ascends, I want you to know this, that he ascends, when he ascends, he does not lose his humanity. He's still fully God and fully man. Okay? This is, this is amazing. He takes the ascension, is he takes our humanity, which he picked up at his birth, at the incarnation, and he takes our, he takes our humanity, he takes it into heaven. This is the ascension of Jesus. He is forever fully God and fully man. I want you to think about this. In 1 Timothy, this is written many years after Jesus had ascended on high, okay? This is after he had risen from the dead. And he says this in 1 Timothy 2 5. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's still man. He's still fully man, and yet he's fully God. This will it's 100% man, 100% God. It'll stretch your mind. You can't grasp it, but this is what's happened in Christ, that God, who is the eternal God forever and ever and ever. My son asked me this morning what I was teaching on. I talked to him about the hypostatic union, okay? 
And I said, how I said, does God have a beginning? He said, no, he's eternal. God is eternal. He's always been God. But has he always been man? No, he picked up humanity onto himself at the incarnation, his birth. Okay, so here he is. He's ascended. I want you to listen to this. This is a quote from Paul Washer. He said this. He has glory. Jesus has glory since before time began, but the glory that has been regained. In other words, he left his glory, not as God, but he left his glory to, to humble himself and take on flesh. And now as he has ascended on high, the glory which he has regained is greater than the glory that he had set aside when he came into the world that he set aside when he came into the world. For now he sits at the right hand of the father, not only as the fullness of deity, but also as the glorified man, not only as a ruler, but now as redeemer and as high priest. Here's Jesus. OK, the ascension. He ascended into heaven in a real body. And I want you to see this very quickly. He ascended to a real place. Okay. Heaven. Mark 16, 19 says this. He was received up into heaven. Heaven is a place. It's not a state of mind. Real body into a real place. John 14, 28. Jesus says, I'm going to my father. He ascended into heaven, a real place to his father. With whom he had glory before time began. And Hebrews 8.2 calls it this, as he ascended into the true tabernacle. Listen to this. The true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. You know, there's a tabernacle on earth and it was glorious. It was awesome. Okay? But that was just a shadow. That was just a picture of the real deal. Jesus ascended into heaven before God, before God the Father, into the true tabernacle that wasn't made by men. It was made by the Lord. Okay? So summarize it definition of the ascension jesus in a real body ascended off of this earth into the heavens to his father into the throne room of god and that's what we're going to get into all right is jesus's ascension important this is very important okay we're going to go through this quickly i've got four points to tell you on your sheet of of uh why you can say that the ascension of Jesus is very important. First thing that's on your sheet, you see all those verses in John that I have listed out there? Those are all G where Jesus, he's speaking of his ascension. He's telling them, I'm going to ascend on high. I'm going to the Father. And over, we're not going to read all those, but I just want you to feel that, that over and over again, Jesus is telling them. He talks about this a lot. This is very important. Let me give you a couple examples. In John 6, 62, okay, the people are complaining. They're even offended that Jesus said that he came down from heaven. Can you say that? You can't say that about yourself, that you came down from heaven. But Jesus is saying he came down from heaven, and these people are offended about that. And here's what Jesus says in John 6, 62. He says, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? He's going to ascend on high. John 16, 28 says this. We're skipping a lot there. Jesus says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. He's going to the Father. He's going to ascend is what he's telling them all throughout John. That's just in the book of John. In John 17, Jesus starts to pray. Okay, listen to what he prays in John 17, verse 5. He says, Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He says, Father, I had glory with you before the world was. And I've humbled myself and taken on humanity. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, beside yourself. The ascension of Jesus. Jesus spoke of it also, often. Also, the apostles preached it, okay? You see it, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I've got a couple places listed there on your sheet where the apostles preached the ascended Jesus. They preached the ascension. And here's one example. This is the first gospel proclamation in Acts. 3,000 people get saved after this. And I'm going to start in verse 32. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This is Peter. This Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, and listen, this is the ascension of Jesus. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. Listen, 
For David did not ascend into the heavens. He said David didn't ascend into the heavens. But he, he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, that's Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Christ has ascended on high. Peter's preaching about it. He's ascended and he is Lord and he's Christ. And he quotes Psalm 110 to prove it to us. Okay, so the apostles preached the ascension. Jesus talked often about his ascension. The ascension of Jesus is very important. Don't minimize it. Okay, proof number three. The most the Old Testament passage that is quoted the most in the New Testament is Psalm 110. Psalm 110, and it's all about the ascension. In fact, we just saw that in Acts 2, didn't we? Peter quotes Psalm 110 in verse 34 and 35 of Acts 2, and he's referring that to the ascension of Jesus. David didn't ascend, but the Lord said to my Lord, Jesus, sit at my right hand. Okay, and that, that, that Psalm is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. It's about the ascension of Jesus. The ascension of Jesus is very important. Okay, fourth, last one. 1 Timothy, you can flip there with me if you like. 1 Timothy, I want you to see this. Chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. Okay, now this is is like the peak of this letter. When you read 1 Timothy, this is the mountain peak. Okay, this is it. This is the reason he's writing the letter. Verse 14, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So listen, the church, this is a very important doctrine, the ascension of Jesus for the church, because the church is the pillar and ground for the truth. We prop up the truth. What truth? And then you get to verse 16 and he gives you six glorious truths that we especially prop up. Not that these are the only ones, but we especially prop these up. Look at verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's the incarnation. We prop that up. God came and took on humanity. Justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world. And what's the last one say? Received up in glory. We as the church prop up these truths. We are the pillar and ground of the truth and we need to prop up. He was received up in glory. He ascended on high to the right hand of the throne of God. These things are important, okay? The ascension of Jesus is very, very important. Okay, so we're going to get into it now. Jesus ascended into heaven. Again, I want to remind you as we talk through this, this is an exalted thought. Okay? It is glorious and it's awesome. So as we talk about this, I encourage you in the back of your mind, asking God, God, will you help me hear these words? Will you help me read these words and have faith in you and believe in you and what you said? Help me, God. Okay? I encourage you to do that as we read through this. Because what I'm about to tell you is that Christ rose from the dead. Okay? Quick summary here. He rose from the dead. He walked on earth for 40 days and was worshipped. He ascended on high and the disciples actually saw him. We're going to read about it. They saw him ascend off of earth into the heavens. When he gets to the clouds, they can't see him anymore. And then it shows him passing through the heavens and he lands in the heaven of heavens and he comes to the gates of heaven and he says, be lifted up you everlasting doors and let the king of glory come in. And then the doors open up for a man. It's never happened before. The man Christ Jesus walks through. He comes before the throne of God to the Ancient of Days. And, and, and God Almighty says, sit down at my right hand till I make all your enemies your footstool. And He sits as Lord. He sits as High Priest. He sits as the coming Judge. I'm about to show you all that in the Scriptures. It's a glorious thought. Okay? Ask Him, God, help me see this. Help open my eyes, Lord, in the back of your mind. Turn with me to Luke 24. Luke 24. We're going to start with the ascension of Jesus. We're going to see the view from earth. Okay, if you were like the disciples and you got your feet on earth and you saw it happen, what would you have seen? Okay, this is the view from earth. Luke 24, verse 50. We're about to read it. Here's what's happened. Jesus having died for our sins... Having absorbed our punishment that we deserve, 
having risen from the dead, having obtained eternal redemption for all those who would just trust him. He's done all this, okay? Having walked on earth for 40 days and been worshipped. Look at verse 50. All this has happened. Look at verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Don't you love it that the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, how does, he, how does he depart from this earth? With hands raised, blessing his disciples. Don't you love that? I love that, okay? What does this mean? What kind of blessing? Well, here's one thing we know. We're going to read Acts 1 in a minute. One of those blessings is Acts 1.8. He's saying, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So what he's telling him, he's blessing them. Or maybe it's some kind of blessing like the famous one in Numbers 6. Listen to this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He's blessing them. You see what he's doing? He's not saying, I hope things go well for you. He's blessing them in the biblical sense. Maybe he's reminding them of the things we see in Ephesians chapter 1. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places if you're in Christ Jesus. You're adopted. You've received an inheritance. You're forgiven. You see this? You've been given the Holy Spirit. This is all through Ephesians 1. He's blessing them. Don't you love it that He doesn't go out just giving a command, saying, do it, and you better get it done before I get back. Don't you love it that He goes out blessing? And don't get, don't get me wrong. He lays out plenty of commands. Acts chapter 1 even makes that clear. He, he is, we have no lack of commands from Jesus. But what he's doing right here is he's reminding us that through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have all we need to walk in obedience to Jesus. He goes out blessing his disciples. That's an awesome thing, okay? Now, this is an incredible miracle that they witnessed. Do I have to tell you why? His feet came off the earth and he ascended into the clouds. They witnessed this, okay? They saw him lift off the ground, ascend into the sky, and when he got into the clouds, they couldn't see him anymore. Look at verse 51. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And after Jesus ascends on high, it says those, his disciples start worshiping him. He's God. And they walk out just full of joy, Okay? This is our account in Luke 24. This is the ascension of Jesus, the view from earth. One more verse. Go to Acts chapter 1. One more passage, I mean, uh, that shows us the view from earth. Look at this passage, okay? Acts chapter 1. A little bit more details on what happened here. Now, you can look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. And we're not going to read all of that, but if you look at those verses, Christ has risen from the dead, walked on earth for 40 days. We see that in verse 3. He's commanded his disciples. We see that in verse 4. He's blessed his disciples. We see that in verse 8. And then you get to verse 9. And look at this. Let's read it. Hear the word of God. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner. Okay, so these are eyewitnesses, right? Eyewitnesses that saw him ascend into heaven. You see it in verse 9. While they watched, while they watched, he ascended up into the clouds and the clouds received him out of their sight. They watched until they could see him no more as he ascended into the clouds. Okay, awesome event here awesome event look at verse 10 look at these words while they what were they doing looked steadfastly some of your versions say while they were gazing intently i mean they're just gawking at this thing look at what happened and they don't stop looking until two angels show up and say hey what are you looking up into the heavens for which is an obvious answer to that question right he i just saw jesus that's why i'm looking i just saw him ascend into the heavens Okay, and then he tells them to go to Jerusalem, that the angels tell them that, and that Jesus is going to return in the same way that he left. Okay, so they see this miracle. Okay, Now, 
That's the view of the ascension from earth. Okay, you see Jesus ascend. You're 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 the disciples. You see it happen. That's what you would have seen. But what about the ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands of angels? The innumerable amount of angels. What about them? What did they see as Jesus broke through the clouds, passed through the heavens, and came into the heaven of heavens? What did the angels see in the ascension of Jesus? Let's go to the view from heaven. What about the view from heaven? What did it look like? And turn with me to Psalm 24. Turn with me to Psalm 24. We're getting the view from heaven. Now this psalm, it's like an ascension psalm. It's like another one about the ascension of Jesus, okay? Look at verse 3. Psalm 24 verse 3 says this. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Think about that. In verse 6, we're going to hit a sailor, which means we need to stop and think. Okay? Think about that. Who can do that? Who? Can, who? What man or woman here? What, who can ascend before God? Who can ascend and stand in his holy place? Verse 4 gives you the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Think about that. Who can ascend and come before God? Who can do that? The one who has a pure heart that counts you out. You can't ascend before God. You don't have a pure heart. You don't have clean hands. You have lifted up yourself to idols. You've had idols in your life. I've had idols in my life and you have sworn deceitfully. Nobody here fits this description. Nobody can ascend before God. So let that settle. Think about that. That's like Revelation chapter 5. Remember John? when He, he said, he, he, John starts weeping, okay, in Revelation chapter 5. And, and the reason he's weeping is because there's, there's, there's no one found worthy to go up to the Almighty and grab the scroll. There's nobody found worthy to do that. So he starts weeping. Nobody can ascend before God. But then what does he see in John 5? As he starts crying in John 5, the angel points him and says, Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb, who was slain. He points them to Jesus. There's one who is worthy. There's one who does have clean hands of his own merit. There's one who has a pure heart and it's of his own goodness and his own merit. There's one who has never sworn deceitfully. Jesus. There's one who has never lifted up his soul to an idol. He can't ascend before God. And so here's what you see. Here's what you see. In verse 7, we're going to get this picture of Jesus the God-man coming in to heaven. He's ascended. He's passed through the clouds. He's passed through the clouds. He's come to the heaven of heavens and He comes up to the gates of heaven. And listen to what He says in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Then you get a response. The ascended Jesus gives this authoritative command for the gates of heaven to be lifted up. And you get this response. And what's the response in verse 8? Who is this king of glory? It's a good question, right? Charles Spurgeon said it's like it's like the angels heard the voice of the son of God and they come running up to the battlement. and They peered over the wall and they said, who is this son of glory? Who is this king of glory? Who is this? And, and it's a legitimate question. Who is this King of glory? What man can come up to the gates of heaven and say, be lifted up, you everlasting doors? And here's a man doing it. What man can do that? That's never, ever been done before. He comes in and by his own merit, he demands that those gates be lifted up. Knowing this, knowing you've read Isaiah six, you know that the seraphim, when they come before the presence of God, what do they do? They bow their heads and they cover themselves. And here's this man that comes in and he lays claim not only on heaven, but on the throne of God, this king of glory, stepping through the everlasting doors of heaven. Can, can you imagine what kind of moment this would have been for the angels? Innumerable amounts of angels. Can you imagine, okay? Vast, vast multitudes of angels who whenever Jesus created the earth, they were given shouts of joy. We see that in Job 38. Just given shouts of joy. And at the incarnation, and we see it in Luke 2, the angels are just, they're just erupting in praise. Okay? And these same angels, don't you think they went ballistic when the King of Glory comes stepping back into heaven? 
The King of glory who's their King and their God, and yet a man? The man Christ Jesus comes stepping back in and the angels go ballistic, okay? The, the Bible says this. It says that the angels, this is in 2 Peter 1.12, the angels desire to look into things, to the things of man's salvation. What do you think they did when the captain of salvation comes waltzing back into heaven, commanding the everlasting doors to be lifted up and goes before the throne of God? The scripture says in Luke 15 that when one sinner repents, one sinner repents, what happens? An eruption of rejoicing happens in heaven from the angels. They just erupt in praise. What do you think when the one who gives repentance, the one who purchased them, steps back into heaven? What do you think they do? This is, this is an awesome moment, okay? This is a glorious moment. And <clears throat> here's what I want you to see. After Jesus, okay, He's ascended on high. He passed through the clouds out of the people on earth's sight. He enters into heaven. He tells the everlasting doors, be lifted up. <clears throat> Look at the answer that goes out when, when the angels say, who is this King of glory? The, the second part of verse 8. He says, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads. He says it again. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now, when he goes through those gates and he comes before us, what happens next? Okay, He goes through those gates and what happens next? Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. What happens next? Those everlasting doors open up for the Son of Man. What happens next? Look at Daniel 7. We're going to read verse 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So what does it say happen next? One like the son of man. And Jesus often, often claimed this title for himself, the son of man. The one like the son of man comes walking up to the ancient of days, God the father. A man just came walking up. Fully man, fully God. A man comes walking up to the Ancient of Days. He's escorted by the angels. You see it at the end of verse 13. And they brought him near before him, or they presented him before him. So here's the Son of Man. He comes comes up to the Ancient of Days. I want you to think about how glorious this is, okay? This This is a triumphant entry, if there ever was one. Usually when people think of the triumphant entry, what do they think about? I think about Matthew 21, and it was a triumphant entry too. Matthew 21, when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and what do people do? And they're taking their clothes and laying them on the street. They're cutting down branches, and they're laying those branches down, and they're, they're crying out, Hosanna, Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, this is a glorious moment, and it even says in Matthew 21, in that triumphant entry into Jerusalem, it says the whole city was moved. But what I want you to see is this triumphant entry. This is like a coronation. He's coming in and he's going to be crowned as king. He'll be given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And this triumphant entry is so glorious that it'll make that Matthew 21 triumphant entry look like the Pearl Christmas Parade. (laughs) I'm from Pearl. Don't be offended if you're from Pearl. It says, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. He's being enthroned. A coronation is happening here, okay? That song we just sung makes sense, right? All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. This is what's happening right here, okay? Now, some people might say this. I thought... He was already Lord. I thought he already had dominion because he's God, right? I thought he already had dominion. Same question in Matthew 28 when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
I, I thought all authority, I thought he already had it. He's God, right? And I just want you to see this, that when he picked up, he was God for all of eternity, but he was not man. And when he picked up humanity unto himself, he keeps it. He took our humanity into heaven, keeps it for all of eternity. And now a man has all dominion. The man Christ Jesus, who's also fully God. This is what's significant. Okay. Verse 14, let's read it again. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that what? That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Jesus, the son of man, is enthroned as king. He's enthroned as king and his kingdom will never be destroyed. Where are you at on this faith thing I was telling you about? You believe this? This is an awesome, exalted thought. You need to see this. this. Do you believe this? What would this change about your life? If you knew that Jesus, the one who loved you and died for you, laid down his life for you, is seated as King of Kings and Lord of Lords right now as we speak. I'm talking about something present right now that's still going on. He's still almighty King. So we see that the Son of Man is given glory, dominion, and a kingdom. We see that, right? And he approaches, whenever he approaches the ancient of days. And here's what I want you to see. Okay, let's add, let's add a layer to what's happening here. We see him go through those everlasting doors, right? We see him command the doors of heaven to open up for him on his own merit and his own goodness. We see him walk up to the ancient of days. And then here, let's add, let's add a layer to it. What happens? Psalm 110 tells us that when he walked up to the ancient of days, this is what happened. That God the Father said, sit at my right hand until your enemies are made your footstool. That's what he said to him. Look at Psalm 110. Go with me to Psalm 110. Now, all the New Testament, while you're flipping to Psalm 110, the New Testament makes it extremely clear that this psalm is a conversation between God the Father and God the Son, between the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. It also makes it clear that this psalm is all about the ascension. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. Peter said that. And look at it in Psalm 110, 110, verse 1. The Lord, that's God the Father, that's the Ancient of Days. The Lord said to my Lord, that's Jesus. What did He say? Sit at my right hand, okay? So, the, so <laughs> I want you to see this. So the Son of Man comes before God the Father. He's vindicated the Father's justice, okay? He's already done that. He's been crucified and vindicated the Father's justice. He's obtained eternal redemption for all, lost, for all lost sinners, all who just trust in Him. He's obtained that. And then He walks up to the Ancient of Days and all God the Father has to say is, sit down until I make all your enemies your footstool. Just, just sit down as King. Sit enthroned. This, that's all He has to say to Him here in Psalm 110. Okay, This phrase Sit down at the right hand of God. It's extremely important. Okay? It's extremely important. It's all over the New Testament. It's at least 30 times in the 27 books of the New Testament. We had this phrase, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in some sort of form. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This phrase is extremely important. We see Jesus saying it. He told them that soon you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. And then it actually happened in Mark 16. He was received up in heaven and sat down at God's right hand. And then letters, many letters in our New Testament that are written long, a long time after he'd already ascended say, he is seated now, presently, the right hand of God. Okay? And what does this mean? He sat down. People sit down for different reasons. Okay? They're tired. Maybe lazy. Or maybe they accomplished something. They finished something. They sit down having accomplished that thing. And here's what I want you to see, okay? This sat down. Jesus, He's commanded by the Ancient of Days, sit down in my right hand. This has the idea of He's accomplished it and He has authority. Two big things. Sit down carries along with it the meaning of you've accomplished something. And not only have you accomplished it, you've finished it, but you are an authority. Okay, those two things. What do you mean? Okay, Jesus sitting down. He doesn't sit down because he's tired, okay? He sits down because he has accomplished the work. Sin is conquered. Death is defeated. Listen to John 17. Father, Jesus says, Father, I have finished the work. 
It's accomplished, he says to the Father. It's accomplished. I finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. When he's glorified together with the Father and sat down, it means I finished the work. It's accomplished, okay? Jesus did not sit down to be inactive. We know he's not inactive. It says in the Bible that he's preparing a place for us. It says he's pouring out the Holy Spirit. It says many things. He walks among the churches. He's not inactive. So what does it mean? He sits in authority. Listen to Psalm 29.10. The Lord sits. Psalm 29.10. The Lord sits enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. The idea of him sitting down means he's king. You are enthroned. You are king forever, Jesus, the God-man. Now, this should have an extreme effect on every single believer sitting in here. Okay? Every believer that's here right now, this is, should have an extreme effect on you. Colossians 3 tells you to do this. Set your mind on things above. Where Christ is. It's not just any kind of heavenly thinking. Okay? He says, set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He's seated. So what does this mean? What do you need to do? How do you set your mind on things above? How do you set your mind on where Christ is seating at the right hand of God. How do you do that? You just trying to picture him there? No, here's what this means. This means you set your mind on what he has accomplished for you. Sin conquered, death defeated, the enemy destroyed. All the blessings he's accomplished for you in Christ, adopted, received an inheritance, received the Holy Spirit, he comes to live in you. All these blessings. He says, set your mind on that. And secondly, set your mind on his authority over all things. He is supreme and he has all authority. Set your mind on that. He is on the throne. Your circumstance, whatever it might be, is not on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. Whatever you might be going through, whatever you might be facing is not on the throne. This affects you. Jesus is on the throne. He is king and he's a sovereign ruler of all. Nothing gets by him. Okay, so let's do this. So there he is. He's ascended on high. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now, what can we say about him? As he sits down as king, what can we say about him? And the truth is, we can say a million things about him. Millions and millions of things we can say about Jesus. But here's what we're going to do. Since we're right there in Psalm 110, we're going to use Psalm 110 like a framework for us, okay? And you can flip on the back side of your sheet to see this. Psalm 110 is going to work like a framework. Here's what we know. He's many things, but here's what we know he is from Psalm 110. He is Lord. He's ascended on high and he is Lord. And he is our high priest. And he's the coming judge. What can we say about him? Look at verse 1 through 3. Remember, this psalm, according to the New Testament, is all about the ascension of Jesus. Verse 1 through 3 shows Jesus as Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power and the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Verse four shows him to be our high priest. The Lord is sworn and will not relent. You as the ascended Lord are priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verses 5 through 6 show him to be the judge. He's the coming judge. He's ascended on high and he's Lord and he's high priest. And according to verse 5 through 6, he's the judge. The, the Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up his head. Now, we're not going to dig a ton into Psalm 110 since I taught on it about three months ago. So we're not going to just stay there. But we are going to use this like a framework quickly. I want you to see in this framework that Jesus, He's passed through the heavens. He's commanded the everlasting doors to open up. He stepped before the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days said, King, enthrone Him, seated at the right hand of God. Who is He now? Lord, High Priest, and Judge. Let's dig into it. Lord, Jesus is Lord. Look right there in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, he's the Lord. And at the end of verse two, he tells him rule in the midst of your enemies. Jesus is Lord. He's ruler of all. He's king. This is who Jesus is. 
Peter in Acts chapter 2 preaches, okay? And when he preaches Jesus, he preaches Jesus exalted to the right hand of God. We read it earlier. He uses Psalm 110 to prove that. And how does he finish off that, that preaching? He says, you need to know assuredly that this Jesus whom you crucified has been made Lord in Christ. Peter agrees with this. He's Lord. He's the Lord of all. Jesus, Jesus is seated on his throne as Lord of all. Now, what does this word Lord mean? What does it mean? Both the Hebrew word in Psalm 110 and the Greek word in Acts 2, where it says Lord and other places as well, they carry the meaning of this. Lord means he's the master. All must submit to him and serve him. He's master. Lord means he's the controller. All must come under his sovereign control. Lord means he's the supreme authority. All must come under his authority and obey him. He's Lord of all. Listen to Philippians 2, 9-11. and 9-11. God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, <clears throat> that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee bow, every tongue confess, He's Lord before Jesus. Every angel from the highest to the lowest, every human from the highest to the lowest, all of creation must give allegiance to the risen, exalted Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This word Lord implies obedience, okay? Jesus said this in Luke 6, 46. Jesus said this. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? In other words, Jesus is saying, it doesn't make sense that you would call somebody Lord and believe that He's Lord, but not obey Him. This means obedience. We must worship Jesus as Lord of all. Do you get that? That the one who was crucified for you, the one who laid down his life for you, loved you, loved you more than you could ever imagine. He's now ascended on high and he's the Lord of all creation, the Lord of the universe. We must worship him as Lord and we must submit to his authority. Do you think this is important? And if you're struggling with that, let me give you a verse. Romans 14, 9 says this. To this end, Christ died, rose again, and lives. Whatever I'm about to say is really important. Because he just said, to this end, for this purpose, Jesus died. He rose and he lives forevermore. And he said, what's the end to which he does that? That he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. He's the ruler of all. He's the Lord, Jesus Christ. He's also the high priest, okay? Verse 4 says it there. He says in verse 4, Psalm 110.4, You are a priest forever. Priest forever. Now, if you want to do further study on verse 4, there's an awesome commentary on verse 4 in Hebrews chapter 7. Okay? So you can go check that out, do further study on your own with that. But I want you to see this. The fact that he's priest forever is extremely special to everybody here who's a believer in Christ. I mean, this is extremely, it's just special because Jesus is Lord of all the universe and every single person who lives in it. But he's a high priest to the redeemed. He's our great high priest, okay? Okay, it says that he is priest in verse four, right? This carries the idea of mediator. He's a mediator between you and God, okay? He's the go-between, he's, he's the priest, he's the mediator. Hebrews chapter nine, it puts these two together. It calls Jesus the high priest, Hebrews chapter 9 calls Jesus the, the mediator. And let me tell you my favorite verse out of Hebrews chapter 9. This is what he says. He says, Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth. He says, hey, Jesus didn't go into that temple in Jerusalem. That's not what we're talking about. He didn't enter into that holy place made with hands, which is earthly. No, no, no. Where, where did he go? But it, into heaven itself. This is talking about the ascension of Jesus. He entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God. And I left a phrase out. And here's this phrase that I'll rock you. He says, for us. 
He entered into the presence of God for us. That's awesome. Your great high priest, the one who loved you, who's the supreme Lord of all creation, entered in as high priest for us, for the redeemed. What's he doing there on our behalf? What is he doing for us? And the word that kind of sums it up, it's used in Romans 8, it's used in Hebrews 7, is this word. It's a biblical word, intercession. What is he doing for us? He's interceding on our behalf. The English definition says this. Intercession means to mediate between two contending parties or to intervene on behalf of another. He's high priest interceding on our behalf. He's intervening on our behalf. Jesus, the man, I want you to say, the man Christ Jesus of your own stock, Standing before God on your behalf, the man Christ Jesus stands before God on our behalf because of his intercession. We can be, we can rest assured that our salvation that we have, that we've obtained is forever because he's seated there for us. He's high priest for us. Now, here's what I don't mean. The picture is not Jesus going before a reluctant father saying, please save him, please save him, please save him. That's not the picture. Jesus stands in heaven, according to Revelation 5, as the lamb who was slain. He bears the marks of his crucifixion, which purchased us. He stands in heaven as an eternal memorial that our sins have been covered. He stands as an enduring monument that will never be forgotten by God, ever. He's the high priest forever. And therefore, we can be saved Forever. This is from a hymn in the 1700s, I believe, that Charles Wesley wrote. Listen to this. Five dreadful wounds he bears received on Calvary. Five. Hand, hand, foot, foot, and inside. Five dreadful wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour forth effectual prayers. These wounds pour forth effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive him, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. He stands as an intercessor on your behalf. And his, he's got the marks of his crucifixion to prove it. And because of him, you can be saved. Jesus has taken our humanity into heaven. He's our representative before God. And because he is priest forever... Hebrews 7.25 says we can be saved to the uttermost completely through Him. Now let me give you one quick application for every Christian that's here. Here's the application. Please find great comfort in this. I mean, as you've been asking God, help me to not just know these little things, these truths, but see them as exalted and glorious and let them cause me to worship You. Let me believe You. Let me walk in faith, God. As you, as you think through that, okay? I encourage you, let, let this bring you comfort, great comfort. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being persecuted. He's being persecuted to the point of death. They're going to stone him to death. And God could have comforted him in any way he wanted to. He could have shown Stephen just anything. Whatever God wanted to show Stephen in that moment to comfort him, he could have done it. And what does he show Stephen? God in His comfort and His love parts the heavens and lets Stephen see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There's great, great comfort to be found here. Are you facing difficulties right now? Are you facing difficulties right now? Set your mind on things above where Christ is. He loves you. He gave Himself for you. And He sits as your high priest if you're in Christ as sovereign ruler of all. Controls everything. He's the judge. So we got him seated. Here he is. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That happened. He's Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, our high priest. And he's Jesus, the judge. And we see it. Look at verse 5. Psalm 110, verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. There's a day coming. It's called the day of Jesus' wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He's going to be the judge. Jesus, the coming judge. He shall judge among the nations. And listen to this imagery that's supposed to wake you up. Listen. 
He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. And the way it ends is he drinks water by the brook and the brook by the wayside and he lifts up his head as victorious. He's the coming judge. Okay, Peter mentioned this when Peter preached to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. After preaching the resurrected Jesus in Acts 10, he says this, Jesus commanded us to preach the, to the people and to testify that it is he, Jesus, who was ordained by God to be judge, judge of the living and of the dead. Please don't miss this side of Jesus, okay? Don't miss this. Everyone who gives allegiance to Jesus through faith, to them he is merciful and he's gracious and he's loving and he's your high priest that, that holds you forever and ever throughout all of eternity and he blesses you with fullness of joy to all those who give allegiance to him in faith. But to every person who rejects him, Jesus comes in wrath and in judgment. And let me give a parenthesis here. There will be people in the last day who with their mouth swear allegiance to him, but with their heart they reject him. You see it in Matthew 7, 21. They come before the throne of God in judgment. They say, Lord, Lord. So they call him that word, Lord. They call him that word, Master. They said, did we not do this, this, and this? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You can usually see this by the fruit someone bears in their life. But listen, everybody who rejects him, whether with mouth or with their heart, when they reject him, they face him as the judge. Revelation chapter 6 gives me a description of the day of Jesus' wrath. Let me read it to you quickly. Listen to Revelation 6, 15. This describes Jesus as the coming judge. And the kings of the earth, it's giving you a glimpse into the future here. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us. What could they be? What could they be saying? Hide us from what could be so terrible? Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, the lamb who was slain for them. They reject him. And now here he comes with the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Can you imagine the horror, the terror of knowing that, that freely grace and mercy and fullness of joy and love has been offered to you, and you reject it, and now you face eternal torment forever, eternal sorrow. It's a horrible thing. Now, I want you to see this. What's an application of Jesus' judge? James 5, 9 gives us this phrase. The judge is at the door. He tells him in James 5, 9 to do something. And then his motivation is the judge is at the door. Like his hands on the doorknob. The judge is almost here. That's what he's saying to him in James 5, 9. And what, what's the principle you can get from that? Live your life in light of the fact that the judge is standing at the door. And what will that do for you? Application number one to that. In light of the fact that the judge is standing at the door, be sure that you're saved. Be sure that you're saved. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ dwells in you? Unless you've been disqualified. Test yourself. Be sure that you're saved. You can fool other people. And you can even fool yourself, it seems. Those people went before Him saying, Lord, Lord. They'd fooled themselves. You can fool other people and you can fool yourself. But there's a coming judge who knows absolutely everything, even everything about your heart, and you cannot fool Him. Be sure that you're really saved. And if you're not sure, listen to me. Rest, I'm pleading with you. If you're not sure about that, I'm pleading with you. Rest your faith, all your confidence in Jesus Christ and what He's done on that cross for you. He's poured out love more. It's abundant mercy and love poured out for you at the cross when all the wrath of God fell on Him instead of you. And if you put your hope in Him, you can be saved. Application number two, if I'm going to live in the light of the fact that the judge is standing at the door, second application is this. Preach the good news. Preach the good news to a lost and dying world. 
Preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. The greatest news on earth can be summed up in that phrase. He sat at the right hand of God. Because the fact that he sat means it's accomplished. It's finished. The, 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 the debt that was owed was paid in Christ's blood. It's finished. And you've got this news. Please don't withhold it from a lost and dying world when you know the judge is standing at the door. Please don't withhold it. So here we got Christ ascended on high. We've got the event, the events of the ascension when he ascended to the ancient of days, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and know this. He sits as Lord, as your high priest, if you're in Christ and as the judge of all. Turn to Hebrews chapter four. Last last passage. Hebrews chapter four. I mainly want to share this because we're about to enter into a time of prayer, corporate prayer, prayer together. We're going to pray together, okay? And I want you to keep this in mind as we pray. Just think about this. We're, we are about to pray. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're about to call out to the one that I just described to you. The one who really is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're about, we're about to do this right now. We're about to pray to Him. Listen to Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then... That we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's the ascension of Jesus. We have this great high priest. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Skip down to verse 16. Since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is what we get to do. We get to come because Jesus, knowing that we got this high priest who has passed through the heavens, we get to come now before the throne of grace. So as, you, as we pray in a moment, it's like entering into the throne room of God and calling on the one who is Lord of all, controls everything, and who's your high priest and loves you. 